So we're heading uh, towards uh, Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. I'll say a bit more about that at the end of our service when everyone's back together. So we're in a two-part uh, mini-series within our overall series about learning to pray. And we're thinking about what it means to pray for those that are lost, our friends, our family, uh, our communities, our neighbor, whatever, whoever it, it might be. Uh, and we began looking at that last week, and if you uh, uh, missed that, and it, it kind of floats your boat, uh, and uh, uh, people are on, on your heart, then you can pick up a CD at the back there, or you can pick it up online. Or uh, if you podcast, then you can find us on iTunes as well, and it will get delivered to you. So that's all there from last week. And just as a reminder, in order to put this week into context, we talked about four different truths that we can hold on to as we begin to pray for our lost friends and family. The first truth is that we need a burden, but that that burden is a gift from God. Remember, as Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, he looked over Jerusalem. Everything looked fantastic. It was party time in Jerusalem. The, 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 the houses would have been whitewashed, everything sparkling, a bit like the fanfare of, of, of uh, modern life. Everything looks sparkly and well, and yet underneath it's not. It's sad and it's decaying. And Jesus saw the sadness and the decay of the lives that were hidden uh, uh, behind the, the, the facade of the festival. And he wept. And that burden is a gift from God. I need a burden to keep me praying for those that I know and love. And I guess maybe you do too. Uh, And we reminded ourselves also that uh, not only do we need a burden, but that we can ask with belief. It is in God's heart that everyone comes to faith in Christ. We read uh, uh, here about being encouraged to pray. Why? So that all men, the final line, might be saved. All mankind, all men and women. And we know that towards the end of the Bible, the church was beginning to get a bit worried, a bit panicked about Jesus coming back. They, they, they knew that he'd said he was going to come back and the years were rolling on and he hadn't come back and they were beginning to murmur, well, maybe he's not going to be faithful to his promise. Maybe he won't come back. And we might murmur the same. Crumbs, it's been 2,000 years. Where is he? And so towards the end of the Bible, it says, look, you need to understand two things. One, God's time is not your time. And the second thing you need to understand is God is slow and patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to everlasting life. So we can ask with belief. God is on our side. The whole of heaven is on our side when we pray and long for those that don't yet uh, know him. Uh, And then at the central core of what I was saying last Sunday uh, was about how uh, uh, this world has been trapped literally taken alive. We're praying that people will come to their senses and escape the trap, the literal, they've been seized alive by the devil who's taken them captive uh, to do his will. Uh, And we looked at this very important verse about how the Bible speaks of people just being rocked ever so gently to sleep. Remember that from last week? Or had I already rocked you to sleep by then? nothing funny about that if you're standing here. And uh, uh, we had a bit of a conversation on the Burlington Facebook page. Hey, we got 100 fans this week. Not quite sure who the 100th fan was. Uh, If uh, we can, Mel can probably tell me there'll be a prize. Nothing special, but there'll be a prize. 
Uh, anyway, a little conversation broke out on that Facebook page, which incidentally is a great place for you. If you want to ask a question, if you want to make a comment, if you want me to try and address something later on in the series, why don't you stick it on there and, uh, and we'll pick it up. So that's the plug for the, for the Facebook page. It can be useful in our dialogue. And the conversation went like this. Well, where did this idea of being lulled to sleep come from? Well, it's from this very verse. This very verse, the, 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 the root behind the, the words about being under control, it's like being under the spell, under a trance. It's what happens to a baby as they're just getting not quite asleep yet, but they're not quite awake either, just being lulled to sleep. And a very powerful image of the way the God of this age has lulled people to sleep. And it's so gentle. They can hardly perceive it. They don't even know it's happening just like a baby. The baby realized they were being lulled to sleep. They go, nope, wide awake. Not going there. But because they don't. And the same is true here. And so we we talked about how our, our praying can break that bondage. We need to pray in the name of Jesus over people's lives. That in the spiritual world, people would be woken up in the name of Jesus. I met a few weeks ago uh, with someone by the name of Carl Brettel, who if you uh, follow prayer in the UK or even around the world, uh, uh, he's been very influential in leading prayer movements both in the UK and uh, abroad. He's the director of ministry, I think it is now, at UCB. Uh, and he said to me uh, just a few weeks ago, he said, one thing, one thing of, of all this journey that I've been on, one thing. It's time for the church to begin to declare in prayer again what we know to be true. So often our praying is, oh Lord, maybe if you will, maybe we want you to, would you kindly please? He says, you look at the prayers of Jesus, declaring things that are true. And we can declare in the name of Jesus that, that walls and strongholds and bondages can come tumbling down. Anyone share that with me? We can believe that because prayer is that powerful weapon. And so, so we need to pray differently sometimes. We need to get on the offensive, the prayer. I mean, I noticed when Jesus was outside the tomb of Lazarus, he didn't go, please, Father God, maybe, if, but, would you be so mind, maybe. He just goes, come out. I don't tend to pray prayers like that. Do you? But maybe. Maybe we've lost something. And so we need to be declaring over the people we know and love that the strongholds would come tumbling down and at the same time that God would release the blindness in the same way that those scales fell from Saul's eyes so that he could see once more a physical picture of a spiritual reality that he'd been so blind that the God that he was serving, he was actually against. He thought that if he killed all the Christians, he was serving God. How blind can you be? And the word of God says, we're all blind like that without Christ. That blindness has covered our eyes and we need to ask in the name of Jesus for the scales to fall from the eyes of those that we know and uh, love. So, that was last time. And uh, for the remaining uh, two minutes, uh, we'll do this time. Uh, uh, Fifthly, fifthly, as we carry on. You see, it's not just that people's spiritual eyes are blind. There are barriers for people in coming to faith. There are intellectual barriers for people and there are emotional barriers for people. Sometimes those are real things and sometimes they're just perceived things. So, for example, 
people perceive that there is incompatibility between a suffering world and Christian faith. That is a perception because they are not incompatible. But people perceive intellectually that there is an incompatibility. And we need to understand what the barriers are to faith in the people that we're seeking uh, to win. And we need to pray in the name of Jesus that those barriers would be removed. So take, for example, the issue of suffering. For some people that can be, as I just said, an intellectual barrier. For some people that can be an emotional barrier. And, And we will need to respond in different ways depending on why the barrier is there. If it's an intellectual barrier then let's pray that the most intellectual people around the world would come into their path who love Jesus. Some of the greatest minds on the planet love Jesus Christ. People who are struggling intellectually with their faith need to understand that. They need to understand that actually Dawkins doesn't have the last say. And when you listen to what he says compared to other intellectuals, you, you can see the, much more clearly the flaws in his intellectual approach. And the fact he's getting so angry these days suggests that he finds himself in a certain amount of trouble if you follow these things. So if people have an intellectual objection to the faith, then we need to find ways of, of bringing those barriers down. And when people in our land who, who, who have intellectual, scientific minds love Jesus, then we need to help other people connect with that and connect with the way that they respond. Other people uh, have an emotional response. Perhaps they've had a terrible, terrible life or a terrible, terrible year. And they say, because of how I feel, because of what's happened to me, I can't possibly believe in a God of love. Now, we could introduce them to the brains of Britain, but that would do nothing for them, would it? But we could love them, and we could meet their need, and we could get alongside them, and they might discover that in Christian people there is a love and a grace that they haven't found anywhere else. You see, suffering is not a barrier to faith. And the reason I can say that so confidently is that some of the people that have suffered the most in this life love Jesus. Isn't that true? People around the world that have suffered the most love Jesus. People around the world, with I forget the statistic, I wish I could uh, uh, pull it up from the recesses of my mind now, but there was a study done about the top 50 intellectuals in the world. You would be amazed how many of those were Christians. And I wish I could remember it. Maybe by the end I will. But these things that are barriers can come down. And we, as we're praying, I'm praying for George, say, and I'm praying that George will become a Christian. And as I, as I know and understand George, I, I begin to understand what his barriers are. And I'm saying, Lord, in the name of Jesus, create circumstances and situations and opportunities that will help bring that wall down. And George goes, blow me down. That bloke's really clever and he loves Jesus. That challenges me because I thought clever people rejected the Christian faith not true. Or, I thought that God couldn't possibly love me, and then I met someone who's been through exactly the same thing as me, and they found that God was the answer at their deepest level. I need what they found. And so the barriers come down. We need to pray for those barriers, that we can recognize them, and that we can bring them down in the name of Jesus. One of the ways that we might uh, choose to to do that is in prayer triplets. As you came in this morning, you were given a little slip. True? 
Say prayer triplets on the top. And uh, it's our gift to you to make it easy. We want to encourage you to pray for those people you know and love together with others because that will keep you praying. Now I've got a number of suggestions. My first suggestion is to tack it onto something that you already do. So if you go out with the boys on a Friday night, go out with the boys on a Friday night and spend 10 minutes praying for your nine people, three each, okay? Or if you, uh, once a month, you uh, um, play croquet. Yeah, before, you can do it before or after the croquet. It doesn't matter, God will wait till the end. But, so tack it onto something that you do. Because if you try and make another evening or another lunchtime, you won't do it, will you? Because you'll go, I haven't got another evening and I haven't got another lunchtime. So let's build it into something that we already do. Second great tip is why don't we build it into our small groups? Why don't you split your small group up into threes and you all arrive for your small group and for the first ten minutes you pray in your triplets and then you start your small group together. You could even do that at the end as well for maximum flexibility. Now, if, if, if neither of those things work, if that just seems all terribly complicated and you're thinking, well, I, I don't know how to fill in the form. And we'll help you find other people who are saying, hey, I'd like to do this but I'm not quite sure how to do it. Can you link me up with other people that I could do this with? Would it be a delight, a thrill to do that? So it's our way of service. So uh, use those forms. Uh, and do it today. Don't take the form home and, and do it tomorrow because you probably won't do it tomorrow. And if you haven't done it by tomorrow night, you'll probably never do it. That's not because you're bad and horrible people. There are other reasons for that. That's just because in the busyness of life, we don't get quite down to filling forms in. So seize the moment. Make the most of every opportunity. And together, can you imagine, together we're crushing some of these barriers. I've got a friend and, uh, and, uh, and, and he's, he's really searching. And as I understand why he's really searching, I, I can say, look, will you pray for my friend? I can't say who it is. Can you, can, can, will you pray for my friend? Um, and would you pray this? Because this is where they're stuck. And I know that in the name of Jesus, people that have been stuck right there can find faith in him. So let's encourage one another to pray uh, together, prayer triplets. Uh, and so we can go on with these different, uh, different barriers. The verses that uh, we heard from God's word a few moments ago talk about the reconciliation of people and how important that is. And then bringing it to a crescendo, the most important reconciliation on earth the reconciliation with God. And we're ambassadors, leaders, instruments, catalysts for bringing people uh, together. We've been given that ministry. And if that's true, then not only can I pray on my own and in my prayer triplets, but if that is true, one of my prayers needs to be that God would open a door. Do you notice how Paul prayed for open doors? He prayed, Lord, where are you opening up the message next? There were times in Acts when Paul really wanted to go there and preach the gospel, but God was opening up the door there. And until Paul listened, the door remained closed. So what doors is God opening up with your friends and with your family? You see, whenever we think about evangelism, well, before we think about evangelism, we feel, as soon as I say evangelism, I get uptight and twitchy, and you get uptight and twitchy. Because that's what we do. Because we all hate it. 
We go, oh, no. And you brace yourself, because I might make you feel guilty, because that might be my best weapon. And you go, oh. Uh, and we're in this confrontation thing. Uh, and, it, uh, and it go, right, evangelism. I've got to say something to someone. I'm going to get it all out, and I'm going to whack them with it. And you go, oh, there's the person. Uh, and they hate it, and you hate it. So subconsciously, you both agree, well, we'll never do that again. But at least when I next hear a sermon on evangelism, I can go, I gave it a go. It doesn't work. The Bible paints a very different picture. A very different picture. All through the Acts, it's about, Lord, where's the door opening? I'm looking for an open door. I'm praying for an open door. I'm asking that my eyes be wide open so when the door opens, I can walk through. You do not have to force your way through an open door, do you? But nearly all of us here may be with our passion for Jesus, have tried to kick the door down into someone else's life. You don't need to force an open door. So, so where do these open doors come from? Well, it strikes me that there are two things that we can, we can do. We can use our conversation to see doors open. There's always something going on in the news, in the world, that people are talking about that has a spiritual dimension. Always. So you can easily have conversations that are spiritual in nature. Who knows where spiritual kind of conversations lead because people surprisingly out there want to talk. It's only Christians that struggle talking about spiritual things most of the time. People out there are quite happy these days to chat about something that's spiritual. So we use our conversation, but we use it wisely looking for an open door. That's what Jesus did, do you remember, it? with the woman at the well. He did not say to the woman at the well, do you know what, you've had five husbands, the bloke you're with now is not your husband, you need me. That was all true, wasn't it? Hello? That was all true. He didn't say that. He said, can I have some of this water? And then he started teasing about living water. Then they got into a conversation about worship, this mountain, that mountain, uh, and s- suddenly... You're into a whole different place just because you said. And praying for an open door is asking God to create those opportunities. I remember being at one of the hairdressers around the corner. I won't tell you which one because then you'll go and get them. But uh, just around the corner. Uh, And she, the dreaded question, I might have said this before, the dreaded question, you know, what do you do? I hate that question. You know, yes, I'm a complete nerd and I work for a church. And they don't know what to say, and they sort of cut your hair in silence, and they, and they apologize for swearing and all that stuff. And anyway, so we got into this conversation, and she said, what do you do? And I go, oh, I work, I work for this church just around the corner. Uh, and I, she'd already said uh, about coming in on a Sunday, having to work on a Sunday and stuff, uh, and about the car parking. Uh, and this doesn't happen to me very often, so I'll just celebrate it with you. It was an open-door opportunity, because... I said, well, it must be a real pain trying to park on a Sunday because there are about a thousand people coming to church in this immediate area, which was true at the time. Ipswich, International Church, St. Matthew's, and ourselves. And she went, what? A thousand people? I said, yeah, that's about right. On a good day, we have about 300 each, there or thereabouts, give or take. And suddenly, out of nowhere, she's leading this conversation and we're into spiritual stuff an open door. If I'd said, yeah, I'm a minister, and can I tell you why I'm a minister? 
She would have stabbed me in the back of the neck, <laughs> wouldn't she? You know, because I'm trying to push the door down. I'm trying to go somewhere she doesn't want to go. But if I'm praying for an open door, okay, can I believe that God might go a little bit ahead of me and open the door a little bit? And so what I have to do, Michael Green talks about it as being like fly fishing. You, you throw the fly out. If nothing catches, pull it back in. Throw it out again, see what catches. With the Holy Spirit, very soon, something will catch. Someone will bite. And so we use conversation and we pray, we use prayer for this open door. Pray this week that God may open a door. But you know the, you know the hardest thing about God opening a door? He then expects you to walk through it. So if you're going to seek an open door, then you have to join the rest of the New Testament in asking for boldness. Boldness does not mean being brash. Boldness does not mean shouting. Boldness does not being arrogant. Boldness does not mean having all the answers. Boldness does not mean that you're telling them something that you've got that they haven't because you're clever and they're stupid. Boldness does not mean that you trample over who they are and what they believe and the person that God's made them to be. You can be bold by sharing an answer to prayer to your cynical spouse. You can be bold by offering to pray for somebody. Not even there and then. If you don't mind, I'll pray for you. You can be bold by explaining how important God is to you when someone says your faith seems to matter to you. You can be bold by spending the extra time with that difficult person that is hard to do. But you do it in the name of Jesus. I need boldness. I need boldness. Because tomorrow, when I get an open door, I can easily bottle it. Have you ever bottled it? No? No? no. Well, I have, Bob. I have. And, uh, and sometimes I feel bad about that. Sometimes I walk away and I think, I missed it. What a numpty. What a dummy. Everybody thinks he's got it sorted, and I haven't got it sorted, and I missed it. So I pray, God, give me an open door, keep my eyes open to see, and when that door opens and my knees knock so loud, they can be heard almost in Haiti, God gives me a boldness in my spirit that says, trust me, just get it out there. Something gentle, but meaningful and purposeful. Just get it out there. And if I'm going to get it out there, then they need to really know that I care. You see, I've got to pray. I've got to pray that I'd be a blessing. That I'd be a blessing. I've got to pray that I'd be wise. See, I can be a jerk towards outsiders sometimes because I'm an insider. You know, I can, I, 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 can be, I can be far too quick to assume that the things that are easy for me are easy for people outside. It is incredibly difficult to come into this space if you're on the outside. It is incredibly difficult for people to ask for help because they fear that most people will say no. It is incredibly difficult for people to build relationships these days because they don't believe that you'll be consistent. And so we need to pray, God, make us a blessing. In your prayer triplet, God, make each one of us a real blessing to the people that we're trying to win. You've never, ever nagged anybody into the kingdom, have you?
If you have an unbelieving spouse, what does nagging achieve? It's really hard, isn't it? But we know that nagging pushes, doesn't pull. And so some of those words in Corinthians about husbands and wives, and, uh, and, and talk about that for a moment perhaps, husbands and wives, about seek to be the blessing. Seek to be the aroma of Christ. Seek to be the, the most winsome, super husband or wife that you possibly can be. Translate that into our friendships, into our other families. Be the best parent that you can be to your children. My, I instinctively nag my children when they do not do what I want them to do. Does it make it better? Why haven't I learned that? Because I'm a dummy at heart. And, I, you, and I'm nearly 40. I'm nearly 40. I've got one more sermon to go before I'm 40. This might be the best you've ever got. This could all be downhill from now on in. Because I'm a dummy. I nag. I go, come, oh, come on. I, I show my frustration. But, uh, uh, does it get me? No. Lord, help me to be a blessing. Help me, help my kids to go. <clears throat> he is a right jerk, but I love him enough, I'll do it just because he says. Because they go, he wants to bless me in the end. And so, look, Lord, make me a blessing to the three on my list that I'm praying for. Make me a blessing. And I'm not a blessing when that relationship is all about me. I'm not a blessing when I tell him how great my church is. I'm not a blessing when I keep on about all the things I'm doing with my church friends. I'm not a blessing when I, when I keep rabbiting on about stuff that they can't connect with yet. <clears throat> what does it mean to be a blessing to them? I, I love this. Grab your Bible. Would you, I've been really stirred by this. Uh, I said grab your Bible. I can't even find one for myself. Uh, in Luke chapter 10. Can someone lend me a Bible? Thank you, Connor, very much. Luke chapter 10. Uh, and kind of Jesus is sending out the 72, and you kind of get a feeling that he'd know what he's doing. Uh, it's page 1041. A uh, little page number in the middle at the top. Page 1041. Uh, Luke 10. So on the left-hand column, a big 10, that's chapter 10. And then I want us to start looking at verse 5. This is the next paragraph down from big 10. There's a little 5, which are the verse numbers, Luke 10, 5. And he's sending out the 72, just like he sends us out. He says, when you enter a house, what's the first thing you say? Peace. First thing. First thing, be a blessing. How can I love you? How can I bless you? What do people out there think the first thing is that a Christian will do? Criticize them. I think that's right. First thing a Christian will do, tell you what you've got wrong. Nine times out of ten, when people discover I'm a vicar, they apologize for the things they feel they said wrong. Because they think that's what I'm interested in, number one. They think we're interested in all the things that we're against. We don't like this, and we don't like that, and we don't like this, and we don't like that. I haven't got a clue what we do like. No idea that we're madly in love with Jesus. They just know about the things we're against. And Jesus says, no, don't do any of that stuff. Enter this house and speak peace. Speak peace. And if they respond to the peace, then stay there. Now, the Christian, the typical Christian, is given the image in our culture that if the typical Christian came to your house, the last thing you would want them to do is to stay. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The last thing. You wouldn't let a Christian within a hundred yards of your house. But here, speak peace. 
So they want you to stay. So they want you to stay. Then start meeting some needs. When you enter a town, verse 8, and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. That can sometimes be a challenge. But then meet needs. Heal the sick. Minister to people's needs. It's not about what I'm telling you. It's about what I'm being. I'm coming. I'm speaking peace. I'm meeting your needs. I'm here for you. That's what the kingdom of God means. And then tell them, verse, uh, the end of verse 9, that the kingdom of God is near. That was Jesus' strategy. We kind of go, the kingdom of God is near, so wake up and sort yourself out. Jesus says, no, don't do that. Speak peace. Be a blessing. Minister to people. Meet their needs. And let those relationships of meeting needs become a platform of trust that's strong enough to carry the weight of the gospel. When they say, what's this all about? You go, because the kingdom of God is here. That was his strategy. And I guess of all, he knew what he was doing when he sent out the 72. And what does it say? Uh, a little bit later on, you know, you say, where does all this fit with the, with the blindness and the bondage that we've been talking about? Well, look what Jesus says when I, uh, well, look what happened at verse 17. So they go out, this is the strategy, okay? Speak peace, they pray peace over them, they minister to their needs, they proclaim the kingdom of God in response to that. The 72 returned with joy. Have you ever come back from an evangelistic encounter with joy? Really? With joy? Someone's saying yes somewhere? Julie's in the house. Um, anybody else? Uh, with joy? But th- this is it in God's word. They came back with joy. Lord, even the demons, even the powers of darkness ended up submitting to this God-given strategy of blessing, meeting needs, proclaiming the kingdom. And Jesus said, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What a vision over Ipswich, over your friends, over your family, in your workplace. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, there's something even better than that. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written, written where? Finally, this is all hands on deck, this is. Winning the world is not a minority sport. And when Jesus had great compassion for the crowds, he said, the thing is, guys, we need workers. We need people that are going to buy into this and live it and love it and, uh, and love Jesus so much that they're just going to uh, throw all the, the usual straitjacket ways that they've been to the wind and, and love in his name and, and, and live a new kind of way. That's what we need. And so when you're praying, Jesus says, ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest to do what? Get some workers out into the harvest. So we keep thinking, bring them in, bring them in. And Jesus says, no, let's get the workers out. Out into the harvest. Let's make that our prayer. Out into the harvest. And so we pray for one another and for all those that we long to come to know Jesus. And there it is. The prayers that God honours. The prayers that God honours. And we might not, we might not win a hundred people this week. But if you won three people for Christ in a year, 
And every Christian did that, and they won three people. In six years, the whole world would be won for Jesus. Now, you might say, I can't do three. Hey, imagine if we did one each in a year. What a difference that would make around the world. Hey, get in your triplets and pray. Pray. Small groups, wherever it is, in the normal things that you do, find that space to make these prayers real and on our hearts. Let's pray together.